Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. And what's up? Welcome in GC Live. I'm Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. Uh, Monday episode of the show. Thank you for being with us and thank you for bearing with us as well. Um, some internet issues over here, but now I get to have a plain Chris background and uh, doing the show from elsewhere. So hopefully we are locked in now and we can talk a little bit of Gamecock sports. But first, want to tell everybody about a good friend, Clint Hammond. Clint is, of course, the Main guy over there at the Mortgage Network here in Columbia, South Carolina, right across from Dreer High School. Give Clint a shout, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933, presenting sponsor here on GC Live. And if you, um, A, are in the market for a house right now, I know houses are selling like crazy right now, interest rates are still low during the market, give Clint a shout. Or if you just want to save some money on your current home, maybe refinance, maybe figure out, get you a better interest rate then uh, give Clint a shout for that as well, 803-771-6933. He'll get you hooked up and get you set up. Uh, Great weekend, Chris, for South Carolina Athletics. So today will be an easy show for us because there is no shortage of things to talk about. You can start with South Carolina baseball, a sweep of Florida over the weekend. Um, Just out there, they're playing really outstanding right now for the last, I guess you go back ever since the the game three win over Vanderbilt, uh, five wins in a row, uh, very very impressive. Women's basketball with a win Sunday uh, advances to the Elite Eight. They'll face Texas and a familiar coach uh, there in, in Vic Shaver on Tuesday night. And of course, uh, South Carolina's football coaches. We got to hear from the OC and the DC, uh, Marcus Satterfield um, and Clayton White speaking today. So, Chris. No shortage of things going on and uh, should should have Gamecock fans in, in a good mood this week, I think. And, of course, um, we believe there is fin- finally a final word on, on what's going to happen with the South Carolina men's basketball program, which we talked about on Friday. It looked like it was heading that direction. Yeah, man. I mean, a lot there. there there's a lot to digest. And um, the, the first thing that came to mind was, you know, this weekend – sort of simultaneously trying to watch uh, game three uh, of the Gamecocks uh, series sweep over Florida and and also watching the women's game at that same time, the Sweet 16 matchup against Georgia Tech. And that was the first thing I thought of. It's pretty evident this is going to be a good weekend for Gamecock sports. Uh, I know we did a show a while back where they sort of had a perfect weekend, so to speak. Um, I don't. It wasn't perfect, uh, but certainly with the biggest sports that were playing, um, you know, sort of in the spotlight with the NCAA tournament going on, and obviously a huge series against top five Florida. They were able to uh, pass both those tests. And 
Wes, starting with, I don't know where you want to start with, but I think baseball is the first one that came to mind for me. You know, it, it really looked like the Gamecock team that we saw at the beginning of the year when they won 11 straight. Obviously, they scuffled after that against Texas. You run into Vanderbilt, which, I mean, you run into Vanderbilt, they're playing really well. They're really, really talented. Uh, they're probably even better than people thought, and people thought that they were really good. Uh, but you play a Florida team that's super talented, that was really highly regarded coming into this season, um, and had huge expectations. And not only do you take the series, but you go out and you're able to sweep them. And so an almost historical sweep, really, first time since, what, 2011 that you, you've taken a series from Florida in baseball, so that was significant. Uh, Florida has only been swept under Kevin O'Sullivan in SEC series. I can't remember the exact stat. Gamecock Russ, our guy, probably has it. Or Wes, I don't know if you know it. I, I got it for you. What What is that one? It was so, six six times in in the last. So in the last decade, last decade, they have had ni- they have had ninety one yeah, SEC series. Yeah, which uh, but before this week, so. Yeah. Um, which you know adds up because the uh, the nine years basically, and um, that that would be ninety series, and then one SEC series already this year. So you're working on the tenth year uh, of this stretch, and at the end of the year they will have had a hundred SEC series in a decade. Well, they had been swept six times during yeah. that span. So now now seven, obviously, uh, with, with South Carolina and. Yeah, dude, like you said, so impressive. And my not not that we should get greedy, but my my one sort of ah, that would have been cool thing for this weekend was the possibility of there being a full house, you know, in, in at Founders Park because that thing, dude, that thing got chippy. And yeah. the two uh the, the two teams don't really seem to like each other. At some point this thing turned pretty chippy. I guess when you're on the field with with a team for 14 innings um, of, of a close ball game, then then that can then sort of happen. I, I think the game Friday may have lasted longer than the other two games combined, as far as the the number of, of minutes that it, that it lasted. But um, I, I thought even for even for a smaller crowd, you know, a forced smaller crowd, I thought the fans were in it. Uh, I think you there was a little bit more. There was like an actual. I don't know if they were actual students, to be honest with you, but maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But there was an actual section of people who were sort of, um, you know, giving Florida some 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 grief, and and Florida did not respond uh, based on some stuff I saw on social media. Um, came across kind of soft, man. Like they they did not respond the way uh, you should if you're a top five program, a top five team, and, and stuff like that. So. You know, I I think there was a Florida guy, according to social media, um, who uh, apparently was inviting people to fight him in the parking lot, um, which uh, my, the best response to that was the person that tweeted, um, you know, with with what I saw this week, they would swing and miss anyway, so you're not in in any danger at all. Um, so so yeah, I mean the 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 crowd, despite being a, a small crowd, was into this, so. I think if it had, the only sort of negative was, was that you uh, couldn't have a, a full house and, and go, you know, sort of really have that home field advantage. But um, 
Chris, dude, to come out, I mean, they're four and two after facing Vandy, obviously on the road in Florida at home. If you just sort of group those two series together, um, most people would have been very happy with three and three um, to, to come out of it four and two going to now you can't let up obviously even though the the yeah. schedule get, it gets quote easier but that's that doesn't really mean anything uh you yeah. got to go on the road again and uh you know face georgia but i think man it, this we're seeing that some of the sort of antics from the team the stuff they do to keep themselves loose and um the props they have it's that's not just talk. It's not just funny. Like they they seem to play that way too. They're they're a loose team, and and, and they're talented, man. I, I think we continue to see this South Carolina uh, pitching staff uh, be very very impressive. They continue to build depth. Uh, Brett Carey when when they can use him in multiple games, and now um, I don't know, man. I I think I think they found something with Will Sanders on Sunday. Because I think Bosnick's stuff plays up as a, a guy. If you can tell him, hey, go pitch an inning, go pitch two innings. Um, dude, he was throwing – I know he gave up the home run on Friday, but he was throwing gas from the left side. Um, Sanders takes over Sunday potentially, and uh, you know then you can use Brett Carey for, for multiple stints throughout the weekend. I think you're, you're starting to see this team sort of take shape. Yeah, and I, and the thing that stood out to me was I think a lot of the things that we saw as sort of hallmarks of this team um, at the beginning of the year when they went on that streak. Now, granted, they weren't playing Florida and Vandy, um, but they did play Clemson. They played some teams that you know could potentially give you some trouble and didn't lose a game in eleven games. And and so the difference between that and sort of the losing streak, and I take out Vandy because they're they're going to you know that that was a close series at the end of the day, even though South Carolina got no hit. Really, the swing game there was the Friday game. Um, you face Kumar Rocker, you lose by a run. You know, so it's not like Vandy that weekend was just heads and shoulders better. I think the Texas series is probably the most disappointing one. Um, but but was that more of an aberration? And, and we don't know yet, but maybe so. And I think what we saw against Florida, against a really good team for South Carolina, was some of the hallmarks that we saw early in the year with this team. And it was the ability to hit for power, timely hits, right? No better example of that than, Andrew Eister's home run with two strikes and two outs, um, you know, in the 14th inning to go up. We saw some clutch defensive plays. Brady Allen had more than one. Um, And then we saw some really, really good pitching. And so we knew that this team had the capability to do those things. It was just about putting them together and doing them consistently. And so they they got back to that. And so uh, as Colin, Colin likes Colin Taylor, our, our great beat writer at Gamecock Central, has sort of has sort of pegged the Kingston ejection in the Vandy game as was that sort of a turning point, you know, in that it, it, for the season even. And, and maybe, you know, there's a little bit of humor to that. But all I know is since then, they've gone 4 0 with four straight top five wins, you know, in, in those SEC games. And they played really well. So certainly they're back to those winning ways, man. And and what we saw from this team early in the year during that streak is is what they showed against Florida. So it's definitely a huge series. Yeah, and I, I I'm I'm not buying the ejection as being the, the catalyst <laughs> Me Me for all this. I think the catalyst is that these guys just kept they kept pushing, you know, and, and there there will be there will be a dip 
in this season at some there will be another you know ba- baseball is a roller coaster like it is a um it is a very long roller coaster and you're going to have your times where where things are going really well you're going to have times where they're just not so there there'll be another dip at some point but i i think we also have to when, when we sort of start to look at what's happened so far a lot of times we forget hey you, the, what the team is now may not be what the team was. It's it's a different team that went to Texas than the one that played against Florida this weekend. And there will be a different team, even though it's the same guys, a different team will face, um, you know, whoever they face in, in four weeks. And so so I, I think we have to remember, you know, you're either getting worse or you're getting better. And, and the thing for South Carolina right now is they're sort of – you always know – going in where you think your pieces are going to fall as far as how your team will be structured. But the best teams will continue to tweak and tinker and change and move guys around and look for the best fit, whether that's, uh, you know, positionally your lineup or, you know, who's in the lineup or how you structure, you know, your pitching. So I think we're seeing that it's for the most part the same, but you're seeing, you know, the change on Sunday. The change in, in maybe how you use some guys. Who's who's up first? Who's up last? As far as um, your, your pitchers go. So, yeah, I, I think there there's a lot to like about this team, as we know. But we're also seeing them get better as the season progresses. So far, um, and, and as Stephen points out, don't forget Khalil's big hit. He was Duke, yeah. but I, I saw some people asking why. You know why? Why was Mark Kingston so adamant after Saturday's game that Khalil? is his guy and uh, why, why not give somebody else a chance? Well, you know, I, I think one, may, maybe he doesn't get that hit without Kingston sort of giving him that, uh, you know, basically co-signing for him saying, Hey, this is our guy. He doesn't have to worry about not being our guy and di- different kids respond different ways. So you may be looking at it as a fan and saying, well, competition should be open at every spot. Well, as a coach, Kingston's saying, my guy needs for me to have his back. And maybe maybe he feels the confidence isn't there or there's something missing as far as mentally he's trying to push the positive buttons as opposed to push the the sort of pressure buttons if you don't perform, you're out of here type thing. So that's I think, comes from knowing your personnel, knowing your players as people, um, you know, as opposed to just seeing them as a jersey, you know, and treating every guy the, the sa- exact same way. So um, good for him, man. Hopefully, for you know, for his sake, that gets him going because he was, you know, really scuffling there for a stretch. Uh, the, the defense is still good, but certainly the more you can sort of be able to put pressure on teams throughout your entire lineup, um, the better off you're going to be, obviously. But a uh, great, great weekend again. A ton to like about, uh, obviously, the outcome, but but the way it happened and, uh, and the way South Carolina played and competed uh, against a – Obviously, a really talented Florida team. We'll find out are they top five worthy. I, I don't know. Um, my, my only my only complaint with the crowd though, somebody was trying to get the overrated chant going, which is probably my top three least favorite chants in sports. Don't call them overrated. Just be glad you beat you know a, a top five team. But anyway, if that's your only complaint, then probably a pretty good weekend. Uh, Chris, South Carolina women's basketball. They get a big dub, and, and these things uh, these things were going on at the almost the exact same time as far as the two games 
were ending around the same time, like the closing minutes of the women's basketball game and the closing inning or two of the the baseball game were going on at the exact same time. Um, South Carolina took care of business. Uh, they, they had a, a pretty big lead in the second half. Georgia Tech, it, it felt like they were chipping away, like they never completely went away. Um, they played hard, I, I thought, and 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 were, were up to the task of staying in the game, you know, didn't seem to get completely intimidated by South Carolina. But um, South Carolina hung in there, was never really like seriously in doubt, you know, towards the end, even as Georgia Tech chipped away. But um, great game, obviously, with South Carolina. They're starting to figure out some things. Um, even though they're, you know, they're they're not entirely healthy, they're they're missing one of their key parts. But that the bench has actually stepped up in the absence, um, you know, of one of their key players. So I, uh, I I'll be very intrigued by by this matchup tomorrow because uh, I think you're in a lot of ways, Chris. You're seeing this basketball team starting to play maybe their best ball down the stretch. Yeah, and the the beginning of the of the Georgia Tech game. It reminded me of the other two against Oregon State and Mercer in that, you know, South Carolina scuffled a little bit, got off to a little bit of a sluggish start. The other team hit some shots, made some plays, but South Carolina was able to eventually overpower. And really they did it on the strength of of their post play. And and in this particular game, hit some three-pointers, which some of our loyal listeners and watchers are pointing out here. Cy Cook was, you know, got the three ball going. Destiny Littleton hit the three. As you said, Wes – L.A. continues to be big for this team off the bench. She really has looked more and more explosive as things go on. Aaliyah Boston, obviously a slow start in the first half, but, you know, it stood out. First first offensive possession of the second half, Dawn Staley makes a concerted effort. We're getting the ball to Aaliyah Boston in the post. She scores on her first touch. So that was obviously a priority for this team, and and they're able to get things going. And Georgia Tech, you know, has played well, obviously earned the, earned the ability to be in there, and, and so they're a good team as well. One of their players, you know, really looked like like Manu Ginobili in the first half. It was it was unreal. Got on a sort of a hot streak. South Carolina didn't have any answers for a while, but they turned things up, you know, defensively in the second half. And really, it was their post play, you know, I think, and and, and hitting some threes in this particular game that rode them. But that this West opens up a very intriguing matchup, not just because of the opponent with Texas, but the return of Don Don Staley versus Vic Schaefer, who, of course, was at Mississippi State for several years and did a great job there. And always between those two squads when they met, uh, Mississippi State and South Carolina, when Schaefer was there, always seemed to have some special importance attached to that game, right? Whether it was, you know, SEC championship determining game or obviously a a national title game. So uh, this one I think will be very interesting because Schaefer's team in Texas last night, I don't know if you watched that, Wes, Watched a lot of that game against Maryland last night. And Maryland came in super talented, averaging 90 points a game, I think. Texas just mucked it up, and and they scored 59, and Texas was able to escape with a win. So they, Texas can cause you a lot of problems. So South Carolina definitely have their work cut out for them there. Yeah, and uh, I, I actually didn't watch most of that game, but I, I caught – so I caught – a lot of the um, the Alabama UCLA men's game, which was fantastic. Um, Alabama kid hit a three at the buzzer um, to send it to OT, and but Alabama just I don't know they looked maybe emotionally spent or something at that point, which I thought it would have been the reverse anyway. So I 
watched most of that game. It ended, and then I was I was actually looking on my on my phone at the app, and for a while it looked like just again I wasn't watching the game yet. It seemed like Maryland was in control, had like a 10, 11 point lead or something when I looked at it. And then I looked at it again. And I was like, whoa, you know, it's tightened up. So I did watch the end of that game. Texas made the plays late, did what they needed to do to win. Um, I, I thought that at the time that was an odd move that Schaefer would leave Mississippi State just on the surface being someone not plugged in. I, I thought that was an odd move to leave there and go to Texas, but um, big, big win for them. Maryland came in, you know, super hot team. They were playing very well, as you said, uh, scoring 90-plus points a game. That was their season low, uh, which they picked a heck, heck of a time for that. But obviously, you got to give a lot of credit to Texas. So this, you know, Chris, to me, you go into this game, on the surface, you might be like, well, a one seed against a six seed sets up pretty well for South Carolina. It, it does, but I, I expect an absolute battle just based on the few minutes, just watching Texas, um, the few minutes I did, they seem to have some very athletic girls, and um, I, I think it'll be it'll be a fun matchup for, for South Carolina fans. And in a quick turnaround, I mean, uh, you, you don't get long to think about making the Elite Eight. You turn right back around and um, and have a big battle for them uh, tomorrow evening, seven o'clock, ESPN. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and that's the thing, man. I mean. We all know in the tournament you can't just look at seeding. You don't look at record. What a team did in February, January, it doesn't matter. You're, you're in the tournament. Um, crazy things can happen, as they can in the regular season, but it's always it always seems to be heightened, you know, during the tournament. And, I mean, look, th- this is a team that in Maryland had, had come into the tournament hot, like playing some of their best basketball. Uh, they beat Alabama 100-64. They beat Mount St. Mary's in the first round, 98 to 45, putting up huge, I mean, just silly numbers and and had not lost since January 25th at Ohio State, had only lost two games uh, in total. And one of those games was early in the year to Missouri State, who was actually, I believe, was a Sweet 16 team as well for women's college basketball. So um, it really good squad for Maryland. And so, look, what, did Maryland have their worst day? I mean, statistically, they did. But did they just not play very well did, and, and combine that with did Texas put forth a Herculean effort, a great effort? I mean, maybe so. But the point is, you, you never know what's going to happen. Obviously, Vic Schaefer's a, a really, really quality coach, and they do have some some talented players. They have some players that can hit from outside. They play good defense. They hustle. They have some presence inside with Collier. Um, she had, I thought, a really good game last night. So it's it's definitely I, I think that's a great way to describe it is that I think you can expect a battle between these teams along the lines of what we've seen in the past between Mississippi State and South Carolina when when Schaefer was there. Yeah, so it should be fun. Um, hey, if you're a fan, enjoy it. You know, like you they you know the kids play all year all year round to get to this point, but as a fan base, you know I, I think it's important not to not to take it for granted that South Carolina is on this run that they are as a women's basketball program because um, it is easy to sort of get complacent that, oh, another another big run here. But but an opportunity, anytime you're going to the Final Four, obviously if South Carolina wins, they'll go to the Final Four. If you are one of the four best at anything you do in the country, that uh, is amazing and should be applauded. So another real opportunity for South Carolina to do that. 
will be fun to watch. And, of course, we'll have complete coverage, GamecockCentral.com. Chris Wellbaum, who does as, I would say, underrated job um, covering a sport as anybody. And uh, our, our women's basketball coverage, other than the game thread, which lives on the Insiders Forum, the stories and the articles and all that stuff, it's free. So um, if you are a South Carolina women's basketball fan, please go check that out, GamecockCentral.com. Chris, with a very nice uh, notebook uh, of, of information previewing that matchup, and then he'll have – he normally has five things to watch the morning of each game, and I'm sure he'll have that on Tuesday morning. Uh, let's shift gears, Chris. Football, no um, no other players talking today, but actually some interesting insight today. Mark Satterfield, offense coordinator, Clayton White, defense coordinator, speaking to the media um, – Actually, pretty pretty in-depth, long press conferences there. And um, first up was Marcus Satterfield. And um, I, I'll tell you, Chris, I and I, again, I was having internet problems. I caught part of Satterfield. I'm going to have to lean on you completely with Clayton White because I have not – I've literally not heard a word of it yet. I'm going to have to go back and, and watch it or listen to it. I did catch part of Satterfield. And, um, you know, he – he was very complimentary of the, you know, the guys he's inherited. Uh, I, I think obviously anytime there's a changeover in coaching staff, there are going to be some holes in your roster. That, that's pretty obvious. But, you know, I, I think just listening to him talk about the running backs, which we know, you know, there's a really good chance that group will be really good. Uh, some of the veterans on the offensive line um, talking about Nick Muse. And then, uh, you know, talking about Luke Doty, he he emphasized that he's a natural passer and then even went into some depth about what that means. Um, and then even sort of, um, I would say, pushed back at this notion that, uh, you know, that the receivers are, are um, at the very least, a question mark on, on the team. He said, I, he said I've, I've heard all the rumblings about what this group can't do. Um, and I'm excited to see what they can do or to show, you know, for them to show what they can do. So um, I sort of left thinking, okay, yeah, there, there are holes in the roster at certain spots, but Satterfield actually conveyed a, I think a sense of confidence um, uh, about his group as a whole. Yeah. And, and I think, so two things on that, I think one is that we know it, it's sort of along the lines of what you said about Mark Kingston earlier with the baseball team the positivity. And, and we know with this football staff, that's going to be a, a huge staple of just what they do internally and externally as far as their messaging. And to be fair, I mean, m- most coaches, there are some exceptions. You're going to hear football coaches get up sometimes and to send a message or whatever it may be, get up there and say, we're not playing well enough. We're not doing this well enough. We need these guys to step up. But we know, especially at this juncture, Wes, with a team that – has needed some healing, right, just from how things have gone on the field, et cetera, the past couple of seasons. Um, that's been a huge point of emphasis. And I think so projecting that positivity, which we saw from – we've seen it from Shane Beamer. We've seen it from pretty much every coach that's walked up there and talked, in my opinion. We saw that from Satterfield today. Um, and, yeah, so positivity about even the receiver position. I thought he was very complimentary of the quarterbacks, especially with um, how much he said that they have installed – and how well that they've taken that in. Uh, with Luke Doty, he focused a lot on his arm talent, right? He, he was has been very impressed 
with how natural he can throw the football. That's something that stood out. I think he said even more than he anticipated and he anticipated really good things. But I I thought his remarks about Colton Gothier were very interesting because he said it's, it's almost shocking how much they've thrown at Colton Gothier pre-snap reads, identifying the mic. I mean, all these different things that he he's wanting the quarterbacks to do and they've given them a lot on purpose. And so he had positive things to say about all those guys. But Gothier was the second guy, Wes, that he mentioned. Um, he said that he raved about his arm talent, his size, said he really stands out on the field. So I thought those are really interesting comments by Satterfield as well. Yeah, and, and interesting when he talked about, when he was asked to sort of uh, expound on playing uh, quarterback and, and being a natural thrower. And he was talking about how some guys, you know, you can you can coach a guy up, you can you can teach him how to throw a football. And, and obviously I, I think with any player, there are going to be tweaks to the mechanics of, of how they do something. But his point when he says natural thrower, I don't think he was just throwing a buzzword um, out there about Luke Doty. His point was that some guys have been sort of, it's almost robotic where they've been taught this is exactly how you're supposed to set your feet. This is exactly how you're supposed to turn your shoulders. This is exactly how you're supposed to, release the football whereas with Doty yes he's worked hard to tweak his throwing motion I'm sure but it the way the ball comes out is a natural spiral and not not everybody not every kid has that so I I thought that that was an interesting point considering what we already know about how athletic Luke Doty is how much he can bring to the running game how he can expand uh, you know extend I should say plays and and things like that so um, that all of those things, again, were, were positive for the offense. And, and yes, he is being positive. He's he's pointing out the good things, um, maybe glossing over as far as the the entire offense. I'm not talking about Doty specifically. He's going to gloss over the negative stuff at this point. But um, also, coaches don't just make things up for the most part. So when he's when he's going out of his way to to talk about him being a natural thrower, when he's going out of his way to talk about uh, what? How quickly Colton Gothier has picked things up? Um, you know that those things are actually happening, so they they can be talked about as, as positives. And um, you know, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. You you wonder, hey, how does it? How's the staff going to go about their installation process? Some staffs sort of go the the route of we're going to spoon feed them a little bit at the time. Some of them say we're going to just shove you in the deep end and and let you sort of just learn as much as you can, that seems to be the case here, that they're they're throwing as much as they absolutely can at the guys, seeing how much of it they can pick up and process. And then at a later point, when you have to and you start getting closer and closer to the season, that's when I think you probably start to dial back, you start to tweak, you start to change things about what you're going to take into the season. And then even from there, what you're going to take into an actual game, which he said – he said you have to be careful not to, you know, not to take too many plays into the game. I, ideally, you want you only want to take about maybe fifty or so plays into the game. Yeah, and he along those same lines, talking about Luke Doty and just sort of his progression, his development. You know, he mentioned, look, we we know what Luke Doty can do as an athlete. He's going to be able to extend plays, like you said, Wes. He can get out of trouble, design run game. There'll be all those elements there. Um, but right now it's about curtailing that because they know Luke can do those things. They also know that he's a natural passer, but now it's about 
continuing to develop that arm talent, that natural arm talent as he, that he has to make him into the best possible passer that he can be going into this season and to be able to execute the offense. Then when it comes game time, when the live bullets are flying, when you need to run or when you're asked to run, you can go do those things. But it's about sort of forcing um, throws not and forcing throws not in the sense of into a tight window, but right now prioritizing practice making the throw for the reason that's that's why it's practice you know you're trying to get better at certain aspects of it yeah john mullins on facebook wants to know is south carolina going to be a is south carolina going to surprise some other football teams this season john i mean i i think it's way too early to have that conversation because you know here's the thing and i, I think this gets lost in translation a little bit whenever you know everybody is in their off season right now so when we talk about hey, this guy's stepping up, or the coaches talk about this guy is stepping up. That is compared to their teammates. You know, that that's compared to what they're being asked to do in practice. Um, that has no bearing whatsoever on what's going to happen when they face off with another SEC football player who currently right now is going through the same process of practicing, trying to earn a job, trying to trying – to, you know, put himself in, in his best spot to, to help his team. So are is South Carolina going to be a surprise football team? Nobody really knows at, at this point. Now, um, it, it also it, – it's it's way easier to surprise if people have no expectations for you. So the, the national or the just the regional, like the SEC media, nobody's going to go into this season picking South Carolina – very high. So that gives you an opportunity to to go out and and sort of exceed expectations and and win more games than than people expect you to. But as far as the matchups, I mean, we're, it's March 29th, you know, how, how does, how does EJ Jenkins match up with, um, you know, SEC linebacker B who, you know, who knows? It's it's just, to me, that, that conversation is how sort of, Hype gets built in the offseason, and then people get disappointed if you don't uh, if you don't live up to it. Um, when it was built, you know, w- within the confines of, of the program itself, or within the fan base and media of the program itself. Um, so, yeah, you you agree, Chris? Yeah, and I think you know, I mean, we could sit here right now and take a guess at where South Carolina like may be projected. Like right now, I mean, if you're pegging it, if you're sort of thinking about the media and the way they think, the way they vote. I mean, South Carolina is probably going to get picked in the East this year, next to last behind Vandy. In front of Vandy, I mean, that'd be my guess. You know, I mean, and and a lot of times you're going to lean on what the team's done in the past year or two, what's returning, et cetera. And so there'll be several teams in the East that are picked ahead of South Carolina, and that's, I mean, if not fair, understandable based on what we've seen. So um, if that's your expectation. And then South Carolina does better than that, then yeah, maybe maybe that counts as a surprise. Um, you know, I mean, Oregon State, who just wrapped up a Sweet 16 bid in, in men's basketball, was picked dead last in the Pac-12, and so they they surprised some people. Um, it also would have been a surprise if they were middle of the pack and didn't even make the tournament. You know, that mildly surprising. So um, I, I'm with you. I think it is a little bit too soon to know. There's still some things to learn about a lot of teams. I think we can sort of take a look at the, at sort of the table in the East, if we're just narrowing it down to, you know, within the division. And, and there are things that we know about certain teams as far as strengths, concerns. There are questions about all of them. There are some teams that we 
think will probably be better than others, but there's still such a long way to go. Just a few practices through spring ball for South Carolina, some other pieces to add, getting some guys back healthy. I mean, there's a lot of different things to consider there. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think another guy, before we move on to, to some Clayton White talk, Chris, um, very complimentary of, of Nick Muse. And I think made, made a great point, Satterfield did, in that Muse was still coming off an injury. He's like, you know, he's running around with this knee brace last year. And it, it seemed like sort of as the year progressed, like down the stretch, is when Muse really started to kind of take off again and – um you know, he and he and Luke Doty seem to have a pretty good rapport. He his uh, statistically his production went way up once Doty got out there. So I, you know, I, I think that Satterfield's probably looking at him, looking at, at EJ Jenkins. These are guys that are gonna be, it seems like listed as tight ends. We assume Jenkins will be. Um, although I thought it was interesting. Beamer did not confirm that um last week when he was asked about Jenkins, if he's truly a tight end or not. But those are guys that you, they may be tight ends as far as how you list them, but you can move them around, do a lot of different things with them. And when you look at the tight end background among the coaching staff here, and then Satterfield saying, what, there were 46 receptions by tight ends in three practices. Um, may, maybe for the first time in the history of football, there won't be a call-in show question this year about throwing to the tight end because – I think the ball is going to be thrown to the tight ends. Yes. Uh, I think even, probably even if they threw 15 balls a game to the tight end, we would still just based on tradition, get that, get that call. So it'll move on to something else. It'll be the fullback. Now it'll be, why not line up, run the ball with a fullback. We'll, we'll probably see that this year. So it'll just move on. But no, I, I think, and Wes making this point to someone earlier, talking about the tight end, because it is, going to be we we do think an important part of this offense and and Satterfield talked about every position offensive line quarterback receiver he talked about all of them but a little bit do you sense a little bit of using the media to put a recruiting message out there a little bit I think we've seen some of that on social media and um, in some of these media opportunities of guys we're going to use the tight end here at South Carolina come on down there's certainly um at least one big target in Georgia that South Carolina is going after that, that I'm sure they wouldn't mind that message getting to as well. Yeah. And that's what you have to do. And I, I said this, I think I said this on the show the other week. Um, the guy in the upstate has been using his press conferences as a big old um, just recruiting speech since, since he got there. So yeah. I think you have to do that. Obviously the Gamecocks really, really want Oscar Delp number one tight end in the country. They'd love to bring him in and throw him a bunch of passes as a true freshman. And um, I think there's certainly some of that. And I think, it, I think it's truthful too, but yeah. he did, he did not, he did not have to give the number, but he did, which I, I think is, is why, you know, you're probably onto something with that. I mean, 46 in, in three days, that is a, a, a pretty big number I would imagine. So uh, let's see. I think that's a, that's about it for now. Obviously you can get a recap on Gamecock Central. Uh, Colin will have several stories out as well. Uh, Clayton White, as I said, I missed all of that, Chris. I did see um, – I was reading the recap on, on Gamecock Central. He, uh, I guess, talked a bit about the fact we already knew Jordan Birch is a physical freak. Um, had some some praise for Tonka Hemingway. I do think it's interesting. Um, actually, I'm going to save that question. I'm going to throw this at you first. What's 
what was your biggest takeaway from, from Clayton White? Um, what can you tell us either like a little summary or just a, something that, that caught your attention? Well, I, I thought, um, you know, the, the linebacker talk was interesting because this is something that we hit on earlier this spring after we got to see summer practice, Wes, just talking about some of the bodies that they have available there and a little bit healthier this year. You know, Jamar Brown has still been working back from some injury. He missed all but, I think, one game last year, thinking off the top of my head. Sherrod Green obviously missed most of the season last year. Um, so you've got Green back. You've got Brown working his way back. Um, you got some, you know, some newcomers, Debo Williams. Brad Johnson is not a newcomer, but he is working inside at one of those linebacker positions, which is certainly an interesting move. Rosendo Lewis has been injured most of his career. He, he's been practicing. He's been working. Mo Kaba, who played some as a true freshman and has talent. So I thought, um, you know, that stood out to me, Wes, just in terms of, um, you know, the, the number of guys at linebacker. And conversely, the other side of that, is you really get the sense in talking to Clayton White that because of youth, um, because of some some injuries, I, I sense some concern about defensive back. And I think we said this in, in a in a past edition of the show. You know, offensively, the biggest question mark positions receiver. Defensively, the biggest question mark position is defensive back. And I think Wes, there there's still a good argument to be made that defensive back is the biggest concern on this team right now. I think there's a pretty good argument for that. And I think while Clayton White didn't say that specifically, but I think there were some things he said where you really got a sense of that in listening to the press conference. That that's, that's something they've got to get figured out as soon as they can. Yeah, and I, I think um, you, you can very easily make make that argument. That's the Especially as, as you look at just the, the number of people that are at receiver – you sort of tend to think, well, with that many guys who have a chance, a few of them will step up, um, you know, and that there has been a little bit of positive momentum, I feel like, at that position, whereas uh, at defensive back, you have a lot of newcomers, you're replacing a lot of guys, and uh, you just don't have as many kids to pull from. The group is much smaller, so you, you have sort of some some number issues there as well, so I, I agree 100%. That's going to be um a position to watch we've talked about it a bit and i, I do i think it's it, it's interesting we have not yet been told by shane beamer or clayton white who the guy is at this nickel rover spur what whatever the the fifth the additional defensive back in this defense which i actually tend to believe ha- that has to be a key position you have to be good there in these four two five defenses. Um, Shane Beamer downplayed it. Uh, he said, "Look, it's about getting the best the best eleven on on the field. That could be a four three, um, even though we we know Clayton White has used a four two five at his disposal. I think most of his stops, certainly his previous stop, that that was his his scheme of choice. And you know, when he came in, his first press conference, he said that's his scheme of choice. So." That will be interesting to me. Can they find that guy who can both cover SEC slot receivers and help in the running game and blitz off the edge and do all those things? Yeah, that's a very important position. I mean, as all of them are. But, you know, that's one, again, because of how crucial it is, that the nickel is always in a very interesting spot because of the reason that you said, you know, he's a guy that's 
in the slot. So not only do you have the the potential of covering a, a very fast or shifty or both talented slot receiver that can make you look silly if you don't cover him well in man-to-man coverage, but also you're getting yourselves into some situations where, you know, you're you're one-on-one with maybe an offensive lineman or you're getting blocked. And so if your nickel gets blocked, you can you know, get some big issues there. And that's one reason, actually, that the previous regime under Will Muschamp had discussed and, and, and ultimately did play more three linebacker with a Sam linebacker because they felt like they were getting blocked too much at the nickel position. And so they made some changes there. And so um, right now, I think one of the challenges, Wes, for South Carolina – when you're talking about nickel and, and Clayton White made this point, when you're talking about depth at the defensive back position and you got five, you know, you got five guys out there essentially at defensive back, it's hard to find 10 if you don't have, have really good numbers because of, you know, needing, waiting on some guys to come in still, injuries, inexperience, whatever it may be, you add all those things up, it's hard to have 10. And that makes it difficult sometimes to, you know, to practice effectively when you don't have the, the numbers that you need there. Yeah, no doubt, man. Uh, Wade said Sherrod Green is fast for a linebacker. I, I I tend to think, dude, Sherrod Green and him playing well is a huge key for this defense this year because I, I think, you know, there there are question marks at linebacker. There are question marks in the secondary. Um, you know, we can list out all the question marks, but Sherrod is someone as a, as a veteran, as a senior – um, hopefully physically he is he is fine I, I know he, he dealt with some some stuff last year as far as injuries go um that that were tough uh really tough injury to come back from 100 i think but if, if he is good to go if he's 100 he's back to his old self we have seen flashes from him at, at points in his career and the season before this past year when they put him at that sam linebacker spot he played very very well uh, i thought so whether he's there again whether he's more at the will um, whatever his role is, to me, he's a key guy in that you say as a veteran, as someone who's played, um, as someone with physical ability, he's got to to play well in order for this defense, you know, to, to be pretty good. Um, all right, y'all, I think we're going to about wrap it up here. Chris, was there anything else from White? Um, Chris right now looks like he's a teacher whose class has just ticked him off and he's just doing the crossing his – crossing his um, arms there and going like, somebody try me. One one more of you try me and just wait and see what happens. I'm not mad at all. Do you Everything, have things all good do have, here? Do you have any other um, additional comments? I do not. We did get some questions, Wes, and I, I think I could be misremembering, as they say. Um, I, I think we – did we tease the basketball situation at the beginning of the show? I know we've gotten some questions. Oh, we maybe did. We might have. And we're working on that a little bit more. Should we discuss that or should we point the people to GamecockCentral.com or we'll have plenty more on that? I mean, we'll have plenty more. I I think the the, the big picture answer, because I think some people are asking about the big picture answer is that uh, all signs point to Frank Martin being back at at South Carolina and and coaching the basketball um, team in the 2021 2022 season. Yep. Um, so that's uh, that's the big takeaway for people who are still wondering, is it still up in the air or is it sort of exactly what everyone was saying on Friday? Um, yes, it's still what everyone said on Friday. We'll see what that looks like as far as structuring. Um, you know, are there changes to the contract, all that stuff. 
Um, we we could have some something on that later on, but um, yeah, I, I think that's to me that's probably the biggest takeaway. I think I think the people that are really paying attention and dialed in and all the, and on the websites maybe already know that, but if you're just sort of a more casual person checking in, then uh, you know that that's the big picture takeaway there. Yep. That, I think, I think that's it, man. We'll have plenty more. I mean, obviously that was a interesting saga, Wes. I mean, we spent plenty of time over the weekend um, and into today talking about the Frank Martin situation, but uh, yeah, that's all signs, you know, p- point towards that. And we'll, we'll have some more coverage of that, you know, I think today and in the, in the coming days about, you know, just how things have played out. Yeah, no doubt uh, for Chris Clark, I'm Wes Mitchell. Appreciate you joining us, and uh, we'll see you all very, very soon. Probably talk to you on Wednesday. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.